Welcome to the Eagle County School District Board of Education meeting January 24th, 2024. Please join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <clears throat> thank you so much. And thank you to the principals from Eagle Valley Middle School, Gypsum Creek Middle School, and Eagle Valley High School for attending our work session this afternoon. A lot of successes in our schools uh, to be excited about. Uh, okay. We are going to start our regular session portion of the meeting tonight with the consent agenda. This is a way for um, us to approve items of a routine nature. Um, so we can dedicate more time to the, the meats and potatoes of our meeting. Again, board members can remove any items from the consent agenda if they wish, and those could be considered separately. It is an action item. I'll move to approve the consent agenda this evening. Thank you, Michelle. Second. Thank you, Lou. Missy. Okay, thank you, Mr. President. Mrs. Connellan? Aye. Ms. Hartell? Aye. Mr. McQueenie? Aye. Mr. Reynolds? Aye. Mrs. T. Varkunis? Aye. Motion passes 5-0, thank you. Super, thank you, Missy. Next on the agenda, we have public participation. Madam Secretary-Treasurer, do you have any blue cards? No blue cards this evening. Okay, thank you. We'll just move on then to new and old business. This is an opportunity for input on work session and agenda items, tentative topics for the February 14th board meeting include a Valentine's Day dinner with the superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> and an executive session to go after we have dinner with the superintendent, we evaluate the superintendent. <laughs> work session, budget work session, district UIP improvement plan update report, strategic plan update, more annual report presentations from our partners, approval of the ECCA MOU, and Oh, more financial reports and more early childhood education items. <coughs> Wonderful. Uh, are there any other items that board members would like to add to this upcoming agenda on Valentine's Day, for the record? Hearing none, uh, we will move on to the superintendent report, please. Thanks, Mr. President. <clears throat> I'll jump right in. Wanted to continue with School Board Appreciation Month. I'm sorry Juan Pena stepped out. I did want to show you a picture of Juan working with students from the SWAP program. 
Uh, he hosted uh, Tim Moffat and his students the other day, and uh, it was a, a real eye-opener for students to see the garage where the snowcats work out of, to, to see the diesel mechanic shop, uh, and to understand that, that these jobs are available here in our community. And our partnerships with, with CMC for credentialing, uh, with Vail Valley Partners, uh, Career X and Career Ys, uh, that these jobs are within reach. So uh, this particular student, Juan, gave a one hour personal tour for this young man and really opened his eyes. He's, he's mechanically, and this young man's mechanically inclined and, and thinks that there might be a future for him working in this shop. And he would have never envisioned it if we didn't get him into a place where he could see what the job experience was like, talk to Juan who, who runs the whole place and, and have the encouragement from Mr. Pena to say, yes, you can do this. So that's, that's the work of, of the board uh, above and beyond uh, what, what the call of duty is. So wanted to, to thank you guys for, for that work and wanted to provide you with your special gift at this time for being a board member. We have two options for you. We have customized ECSD beanies. We have them in blue and black. Which would you prefer? Send it on down. Will you? Black it is. Yes, of course you do. Black, send it down. Black it is. Black or blue? Black it is. Black one's all around. Thank you. And we might give the rest away before Kelly gets back, so don't tell her. <laughs> Missy, thanks for getting those ordered with the, the logo on there. Super fun. Super fun. I wanted to, uh, to take just a minute. I know Michelle doesn't want me to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I want to provide a special thanks to you uh, for the time that you've served with the board. Um, as president of the board, you've guided us through... I think some of the most challenging times that this organization has ever seen. Uh, through the pandemic, uh, that was the most disruptive event in, in school, uh, public school history. So I, I appreciate your work with us, um, your dedication to empowering youth, both in your position on the board and with Mountain Youth, shines through in everything that you do. Uh, so I, I, there's not enough words for me to thank you for your commitment and your leadership and your time with us. Uh, so have a, a card from, from all the board members and uh, some beautiful tulips for you. I know you said no gifts, no cards, no special gratitude, but Aww, we're gonna miss you. <laughs> Big shoes to fill, Mr. Reynolds. All right, last thing on celebrations. Uh, I did get to spend time last week in Denver uh, doing some lobbying with, with the Colorado Association of School Executives. And we heard from many legislators how excited they are to stop uh, the BS factor. That's the budget stabilization factor that for 14 years has been siphoning money out of K-12 funding to balance the rest of the state's budget. It was interesting when we were invited into an education committee meeting uh, it was a bipartisan uh, committee that was uh, in one of the large uh, committee rooms at the Capitol. There were probably 50 to 75 case members in that room, superintendents, principals from around the state. And when they were talking about the School Finance Act, talking about funding for next year, when they 
announced that it was their intent to stop the budget stabilization factor this year, the speaker and the committee actually paused and repeated it, paused again, waiting for applause from the room, to which we all looked at each other and said, really? <laughs> now we're supposed to be grateful. Uh, and it was, it was an interesting moment where we were feeling maybe a little lack of gratitude after 14 years of uh, effectively getting robbed uh, from our budgets, and now they want us to applause and be thankful. Uh, so it was, it, was a tough, it was a tough day for us, but we're happy that the, the BS factor is going away. We still have four months of leg legislative session, so I'm not counting any chickens yet. Uh, we're gonna wait and see what happens in this session. Uh, I did wanna talk about some uh, other updates. Um, while I was at the Capitol, I had lunch with several legislators, including the two that represent our region, uh, as well as several others. And I'll tell you the main theme of what we tried to get across to these legislators. Please stop bringing us your five, $10, 20000000 million grant project for whatever your great idea is that you want to do. Um, they all have good intent. They all mean well. But they are taking our time and our resources to apply for these grants to monitor these grants, to then sustain these grants when the grant funds go away. And if we do that, because we're fortunate enough to have the resources as a larger district to, to apply for it, then our neighboring districts that are too small and don't have those resources don't apply for it. So all these things do is, is are a drain on our resources, they make us competitive with our neighbors, and it lacks understanding of the scale of the problem. The scale of the problem is not a $20 million grant problem, it's a $2 billion inadequacy in what we fund K-12 in Colorado. That was our key message. So what is adequate funding? This year, when they talk about the School Finance Act, uh, there will be a discussion to fund an adequacy study. So for the first time, the state is going to put some money through a bipartisan effort to review how much do we actually invest in K-12 in our state, and let's compare it to other states and see how we're doing. Well, I'll tell you how we're doing. We're $2 billion below average. $2 billion is what it would cost to get per pupil spending in Colorado up to the national average for per, per pupil spending. When they start to see that scope, when they start to see the scale of the problem with those numbers, it's eye-opening to them. So we'll, we'll see if anything comes out of it this year. Uh, I think we had productive meetings. We're fortunate to, to, to have um, Dylan Roberts and, and Megan Lukens, both champions for K-12 representing us. And I did want to take one more moment uh, to talk about this with my proud principal hat on. I got to uh, run into Elizabeth Velasco. Elizabeth is uh, a graduate of Battle Mountain High School. She moved into our school as a 16-year-old from Mexico. Uh, learned English while she was here, graduated from Battle Mountain High School. I gave her her diploma. She went on to CMC, got a culinary degree, and she is now the elected representative of District 57 Garfield, Pitkin, and, and Eagle County in the Roaring Fork Valley, who is now serving uh, our community in the state capitol. So I think that's a perfect example of, of what we do uh, with, with a diverse student body and, and how um, Elizabeth, Representative Velasco, has <clears throat> made herself uh, 
uh, a true leader in our community. So super excited to, to get to see her with my, with my principal hat on. So I'll stop bragging. Um, AI Think Tank has begun. First meeting was yesterday, uh, Up Valley. Uh, second meeting will be tomorrow, Down Valley. These will be repeats of the same theme. We're just doing it in two different geographic locations to make it convenient for staff. Uh, these meetings will continue through the spring, culminate in a, in a final meeting when everybody comes together. Uh, but the, the interest in this group has really um, been surprising to me. We, we ran uh, a story in the, in the Daily about it. I talked about it at the last board meeting, and I, I received several emails. Dr. Jarno has received several emails of people who are just wanting to be involved in this work. So uh, it's, it's interesting to me how many voices we're going to have in that room and to see what kind of product we get from that. Today we started to convene budget committee meetings. Thank you, Sandy, uh, to you and your team. We'll have four more of those meetings through the next few weeks uh, to prepare for our budget for next year. Uh, and in that process, we'll take board, um, board feedback, board direction, as well as uh, comments from DAC in the negotiations process, but did want you to know that that process has begun. Healthy Kids Colorado survey has also begun. We'll probably- and now finished. Yeah, and now finished. Wow, well done. Uh, so I, I wanted to acknowledge that um, we ran things a little differently this year with the Healthy Kids Colorado survey, and I want to make sure our community is aware of that. We, we really redoubled our communication efforts to parents so that they would have a, a, a in-depth understanding of what the survey was, where it was going to happen, that it was voluntary participation by kids. Nobody has to do it. Uh, they don't have to answer all the questions if they don't want to. And we even worked with the survey authors to adjust some questions that we had some feedback from parents that they didn't think that they were age appropriate. So trying to be responsive to the, the, the requests of our community, but wanted you to know that that's happening. Last thing on an update that I, I, I didn't have a bullet for, uh, but I did want you to know that on February 8th, uh, we will be conducting our interviews for the um, district-wide director of safety and security. We had 10 uh, good applicants for that job. We uh, did um, reference calls, filtered that down to five that we thought would, would fit our needs. One of them already has taken a job, so we will be interviewing four applicants on, on February 8th. In that committee, um, I have uh, a current SRO. I have a, a commander of the Vail Police Department, Dr. Jarno, uh, myself, Principal Eric Mandeville and a representative from the teachers union will also be on that uh, interview committee. We should be able to wrap up the interviews on the 8th and offer a position and should have somebody uh, positioned and, and ready to get to work in March. It's a quick turnaround, uh, but we've got, uh, as you heard from Principal Russell today, we've got safety and security infrastructure uh, requests that we need to get after. We're gonna have bond dollars to spend on safety and security projects, and that will be job one once we get this person hired. So wanted you to be aware of that progress and looking forward to, uh, to making that happen. That is it for me. Thank you, Mr. President. Awesome job, thank you. Superintendent Qualman. Harry, do you wanna start us off with uh, board reports? Sure, I had a nice uh, few weeks. Uh, Great weather, a nice storm rolled in, so we had some powder on the mountain finally, and nice uh, moisture in my uh, backyard, so I'm always happy about that. Lilia. Thanks, Dan. Um, I've been stuck at home on crutches again, so not a lot to report over here, but um, 
There have been a lot of exciting things going on at my daughter's school that I wanted to mention. Um, first of all, all the winter sports are in full swing and all the kids are having lots of fun. Um, they had learned to ski days last week and everyone loved that. It was a big success. Um, <clears throat> HPS also hosted an event this week to introduce new families to some of the community partners. Um, many of the community partners that um, come and present here at the board meetings. And um, I wanted to thank the school and the staff and those community partners for um, doing that and helping our students and families and supporting them. It was a great event, thank you. Thank you, Lilia. Michelle? Thanks, President Reynolds. I'm going to give my report on the past five and a half years, if that's okay. Um, it's been a wild ride, and I wanted to, I've been reflecting a lot, especially this past week, once I realized this was my last board meeting in this role. I remember when there was a vacancy for my area when Melissa got hired by the district, and some folks encouraging me to throw my hat in the ring, and saying things like, it's generally really positive and happy and everybody agrees and it's super fun. And a lot of those things have been true during the times. Um, soon after I started, we had a superintendent transition followed pretty closely by the pandemic. Uh, we consolidated schools and no longer have June Creek Elementary. And we've had a lot of strong political polarization. Uh, and all of those have, have been incredible learning opportunities. It's been really amazing to see the community come together. Um, and what I'm most proud of with our district is always keeping the kids first in all of our decisions and how we tackle those challenges. Um, and some of the highlights throughout those years, certainly the graduation ceremonies and seeing those students, especially the ones that have um, persevered and overcome so much to get to that point, to get those certificates on stage. Um, Educator Academy, especially the addition of students speaking to kick off the year and inspire our whole district. Um, having student involvement at the board meetings and making sure that that voice is accessible for us in, in everything that we're uncovering. Um, and then housing, and um, it's fun to think about what we've been trying to do as leaders in education to um, attract and retain teachers with a little bit less barriers there, hopefully. Um, so when I think back with board and district leadership and staff and families and our community partners, I'm really grateful for the relationships and the connections and the support that we all uh, come together around um, the learning and curiosity that as board members we uh, seek out so that we can do our jobs well. Uh, and I was just talking with someone today about this role on the board and I think um, many folks might believe because we function pretty smoothly together, we must all come from like the same background and same perspectives and viewpoints. And that's something I've enjoyed really much, uh, very much with the board members that I've gotten to serve with is I like to remind folks that that's not the case. We all come with our own perspectives and different backgrounds and slightly different values. Uh, but the way that we've been able to come together in in respectful manners and with trust with each other and then being a united front however we decide to move forward with different situations has been um, really a great highlight for me. 
And uh, leaving today, I'm looking forward to um, seeing you all around. And I don't have to be counted as a board member. So if anyone wants to hang out socially, let me know. Uh, but continuing to be a relentless advocate for education and for youth voice in my personal life and professionally, too. Um, so I just wanted to share all that gratitude for the time that I've gotten to spend up here and um, excited about the work that's in motion. and. Uh, Super grateful for all of you working hard. Thanks. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, she took your time, Lou, so. Um, and I hope you know what an amazing asset you've been to this group, so you will be hugely missed. Um, I drove to Denver on Saturday to uh, watch my son participate on the Brain Ball, which is an academic uh, competition, so much fun. I learned so much and I was amazed at how much those kids knew. Um, congratulations to Berry Creek Middle School. They made it to the next round, which I believe it's state. So that was awesome. And um, an acknowledgement to all the teachers that put so much time into um, you know, prepping and then getting on the bus with those kids going to Denver and then spending their whole Saturday um, helping them. So thank you. Thank you, Lou. I have two things. First, Michelle, thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you so much for your patience, especially with me. Um, I really do appreciate your ability to respect all people with, with such like a, a kind gracious, generous heart. So you're one of a kind and, and thank you so much. And second, I went to the Battle Mountain High School, Eagle Valley High School basketball game last night. And um, I just thought it was this amazing show of school spirit on all sides. The Eagle Valley fans were terrific. The Battle Mountain fans were terrific. The dance team was terrific. The, um, the, the drum line was terrific. Uh, the basketball was terrific. Um, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was really enjoyable to see and uh, proud of all those people. Okay, let's move on to uh, public interest items for discussion. And we have got an exciting uh, approval, dedication of Legacy Hall at Eagle Valley High School, and our presenter is Tom Laframboy. Tom, push that little uh, button of the guy talking. How's that? Wow, not going to feedback. Hey, um, thanks. Nice to see you again. Um, I won't read what was in the letter, but I just want to go over a couple things. So if you don't know what Legacy Hall is in Eagle Valley High School, so it's a hallway we have, um, right now it's going down between all our art rooms on the backside of a gym and our sped rooms, but it has all our graduating seniors from I think 1940, um, all lining down this hall. So it's a really, really cool hallway. And it's neat to watch the kids, you know, looking up their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their um, mom, dad. It, it, it's a really neat hallway. Um, so the, the reason that this even came forward is the classes uh, from the early 70s are having a 50 year reunion. 
and and they brought this up. So so think of the impact that Ralph and Janice Starr must have made where people want to honor them 50 years later. It's a huge impact. And and when I talked earlier about the, you know, changing the culture at Eagle Valley High School, how strong was that at that point? that 50 years later, people are wanting to honor their teachers. It's, it's, it's powerful to me. I think it's really neat and it's deserving. Um, what's not in that um, report that was sent to you by, by those classes, um, Janice was part of the, the first graduating class at Eagle Valley High School. So that year, that class actually decided on our mascot and it stayed the same ever since. That class made Eagle Valley High School a fight song. Um, and it stayed the same ever since. So, I mean, she was part of the beginning. So when you talk Legacy Hall, there's, there's your legacy right there is with this family. Um, and what strikes me, I, I had Coach Starr um, for, for a coach in middle school. I actually went to middle school at Eagle Valley Middle School. Um, and, and he was a, an amazing person. But what gets me is their commitment to the school now. Uh, when I was athletic director, they were always asking for updates always trying to find out what was going on. They, they always wanted to buy devil's gear. So they may not live right here anymore. They visit a lot. They have grandkids that come here. Um, but this is a, a neat way to honor people that have really created uh, what Eagle Valley High School is and what we want it to continue to be. So I would ask for your approval to rename, it's just adding their names because we want to call it Ralph and Janice Starr Legacy Hall. So I think they, they deserve part of that. Thank you, Tom. And, and as Tom mentioned, there's a, a really nice write-up in our agenda to learn more about Ralph and Janice. Uh, any questions for Tom? This is an action item. Not just more of a comment. I had an opportunity to work with uh, Ralph also at Red Sandstone, and he and Janet, they were in this community and did everything they could to help all the st students. Michelle talked about students first. That was first thing out of their mouths all the time was, how is this going to help the kids? Um, you know, they, they are great people. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a fabulous way to honor their legacy. I'll move to approve the dedication of Legacy Hall at Eagle Valley High School in honor of Ralph and Janice Starr. Second. Mm, Missy. <laughs> Mrs. Connellan. Aye. Ms. Hartell. Aye. Mr. McQueenie. Aye. Mr. Reynolds. Aye. Mrs. T. Varkunis. Aye. Motion passes 5-0, thank you. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. All right, next up, we've got our community partner presentation. I'm gonna do it. Yes, Michelle. Okay. We've been wrote. And while Michelle is getting set up, and we're good. I had a couple of jokes, but. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay. I'm here with my Mountain Youth hat on to uh, thank the district for our partnership over the years. Mountain Youth is celebrating 22 years in existence, and we were founded originally with county dollars and school district support. So from the start, uh, our partnership's been a pillar of our existence at Mountain Youth. Um, and it's been really fun over the years to get to be a board member and see the back end of the workings um, that the system provides. Uh, so we provided the presentation with kind of an overview of a lot of areas of our work, and I wanted to hone in on just a couple for the presentation tonight. Uh, so Philip mentioned the Healthy Kids Colorado survey. This is a project that actually predates our existence as a nonprofit. Part of why we were founded was to make sure the schools and the community had a good current understanding on youth behaviors so that we could prioritize, we could secure resources, uh, and we can really make sure to, to meet our students' needs. Uh, so fast forwarding over 20 years, every other year Mountain Youth works with the district uh, with all of our middle and high schools as well as non-district middle and high schools to help facilitate this project. It is the largest youth behavioral assessment in our community and individual schools, the district and partners rely on this data not only to help understand but uh, to create policies, understanding those priorities to um, secure resources for behavioral health and recreational and safety supports, um, and even to have real life data to work with in statistics classes. Um, so we just wrapped up our administration. Uh, when I submitted this report, we were about halfway through. So we finished at 14 campuses with over 3,000 students. Uh, I've heard nothing but praise for the refined processes, especially getting to work with the communication team at the district to make sure there was more communication earlier on and uh, everything was as transparent as possible. And so we look forward to receiving that information and engaging students too on what they're noticing in priorities. Um, in conjunction with the Healthy Kids Colorado survey, Mountain Youth also facilitates a parent survey that's been going for, I think this is our fourth round. Uh, just like hearing from young people to steer programming for them, we want to make sure we have a good avenue for parent voice to understand what's going well, where they could use support, and also what they think is going on in the lives of their kids, and then we match that with the reality. Uh, so that parent survey is open for another few weeks. Uh, it's available at mountainyouth.org slash survey. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes. And upon completion, any participant can elect either a school PTA or a local nonprofit of their choice to receive an incentive for their time. Uh, and then lastly, on the assessment note, for the first time, Mountain Youth is uh, working on understanding needs for our 18 to 25 population, whether it's young people that have grown up and stayed in the valley or folks that are coming for seasonal work or landing here for some other reason. We want to understand what's going on with that population and, what, and look toward providing supports that would be helpful. And that starts with data. So we will be launching an older youth, young adult survey for the 18 to 25 year olds, and that'll be open for most of the month of February. And looking forward, just like the other data sets, to having that available for anybody that is curious what's going on and what we can do uh, for that population. 
Uh, next area of our work that I want to point out, uh, because this is very closely tied to the school district, is Mountain Youth appreciates opportunities to going in to go into elementary through high schools and work on different life skills and social emotional supports. Uh, typically, it's through multi-week evidence-based curricula, and we're working on topics like communication and conflict resolution. We also hone in on substance use prevention, and uh, this. Programming looks a little different school by school depending on their specific student body needs and their schedule, uh, but it has been a great partnership for us to bring in some resources and make sure students are able to get that additional programming. And we look forward to staying involved with the district in some capacity with that work moving forward. Um, you've heard me talk a little bit about uh, youth voice and that is a huge priority of Mountain Youth. For about the past uh, 15 years, we've been leading youth leadership and engagement work that is completely designed around increasing opportunities for youth voice. Um, ultimately, we want to make sure there are students here at Board of Education meetings, at town council meetings, in front of our county commissioners. Whenever there's decisions being made that impact young people, we feel that they deserve a voice in that conversation. Uh, so this area of our work at Mountain Youth is called Valley's Voice. Uh, so students are actually able to become part-time paid employees for offering their voice to Mountain Youth and on other community-wide projects. Uh, another opportunity is they can propose their own passion project. So if a student middle or high school age sees an opportunity or a need for their peers, they're able to come in and put a proposal to a, a peer leadership team who vets and um, almost always approves and helps match those students with resources to um, help guide their projects. So students are designing and implementing programs. Earlier tonight when we heard from some of our school principals and building leadership, we were learning that you know even at middle and high school there are some students here that haven't really found their thing and this is an opportunity for students to figure out what what lights that fire inside them or get involved with projects that might not be mainstream uh, but an opportunity for them to feel empowered and get some practice building something that they can have ownership over uh, and then lastly, events. Uh, it is uh, pretty well known that in our community, most events, even those billed as family friendly or recreational, have a tie to substances or a sponsorship by a, subs a substance uh, sponsor. And we are here to change that norm, to make sure that young people growing up in Eagle County know that you don't have to end every bike ride with um, a cheers of your beer at the cooler at the car. And so we, uh, we hire young people to develop events for their peers. So for other students and for families to come together, um, we were almost at an event a week last year. We definitely are heavier in the summer when school's out. Not only to fill that time with the events, but the planning that goes into it. Our, our students that are involved with leading those, they decided to meet multiple times a week last summer. So kept us busy, kept them busy, and we had a whole lot of fun up and down the valley with all sorts of different pro-social events. Uh, Communities That Care is a process Mountain Youth hosts here in our community. It happens all around the state and it's very focused on uh, coalition and partnerships, helping to make changes at the system and policy level. 
So a lot of our community partners are offering direct services to students and families, which as you've heard Mountain Youth does, we also know that there's a huge opportunity to make longstanding change with the health and safety in our community if we look upstream. And so this is the area of Mountain Youth's work that um, again addresses policies and systems. Um, and then uh, family and community education. So we, we know that even through adolescence, while students may not be quick to admit it, their parents and caregivers are still their number one influencers. And so to have a healthy environment for young people, it takes working with parents and families. So Mountain Youth also offers a variety of free bilingual uh, workshops and speakers and uh, opportunities for, for families. Uh, some are, are actually delivered primarily in Spanish, and we have uh, Spanish-speaking community members choosing the topics, the location, the format uh, to best fit their needs and wants. Uh, and so, yeah, Eat, Chat, Connect, Move, Chat, Connect, which brings uh, physical activity into it. And Aprendiendo Juntos, Learning Together, which is our Spanish series. Uh, we see about uh, two or three events a week on average in that area of our work. And those are um, open to anybody and free and certainly encourage folks to come join us. And then lastly, uh, a couple of kind of intervention areas that Mountain Youth has explored and supported. We hear you in Prime for Life. So if we have young people or families that are needing a little more help than kind of you show up and, and get some reminders on skills and healthy practices, these are opportunities for students or students with their parents and caregivers to get uh, often customized to them coaching and support um, to help make those changes back at home and in the lives of young people to uh, kind of re rearrange and, and set back on the right track. Uh, we've worked very closely with schools, especially middle schools, to launch We Hear You uh, to the point where it's often been a um, an opportunity to uh, build this in as a voluntary program and if families with children that are are getting in trouble at school a bit kind of on the early ends of that uh, they can uh, they can have an adjustment to what the consequence would be so decrease suspension uh, suspension instead of expulsion if they go through these programs and make commitments uh, through that learning um, and safe driving. We had a planning call today with our prevention specialists at the school district to start planning our spring safe driving fairs, which we host at each of the large public high schools. We also do young driver education in schools. Uh, there's a lot of unique laws here in Colorado and um, processes to get a driver's license, and we want to make sure that that is uh, clear and um, that those practices are, are followed safely. Um, so yeah, to sum it up, thanks again to the school district for being such valuable partners of Mountain Youth. We know that in order to, to get to students, working with and through the schools are um, really critical in that. And um, we hope that it's been a mutual, mutually beneficial partnership. Any questions? Okay. Thank you. I, I'll, I just have my beat the dead horse question. You, you, as you know, in the summertime, we started working on our MOUs with all of our partners. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea where Mountain Youths is with the district? 
Yeah, we um, have Melissa that we are working with. We had an MOU from about two years ago. I think that was our most recent one. So we're going to be working off of that one to revise. It's not completed yet. Thank you. Any other questions, comments? Great job, Michelle. Amazing job. Actually, one of the best presenters. Oh. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on to our business and operations portion of the meeting. We've got approval of Exhibit A to a construction agreement with Buildings by Design for the guaranteed maximum price of the Nutrition Services and Technology Facility Project. With us tonight is none other than Sandy Farrell. You ready? Yes. Thank you for the introduction, President Reynolds. Appreciate that. Um, so in the board packet, you do have the Exhibit A of A133. And this is for the um, construction piece of the building that will soon be next door to us here. Uh, we have, a, at a prior board meeting, already approved the, the contract. But this one actually fills out Exhibit A, which has the pricing uh, and everything set for that. So the budget is attached, if you want to look at the detail of the entire project. Um, but this is agreement sets the gross maximum price at $4,521,026. And we did go through the whole RFP process of choosing the contractor, interviewed various candidates, and this one was the one that seemed like the best fit for the district. I don't know if you have any questions about it or... How do you feel about this, this number? I wish it was lower. <laughs> but uh, we do have quite a big escalation that's still hitting on construction prices, um, not only for the steel uh, materials for building the buildings, but also for the subcontractors that are coming in. Any other questions or comments? Um, before someone makes a motion, the only thing I would change in the motion language is I think it's a guaranteed maximum price and not a gross maximum price, oh, yeah. according to the contract. But according that's, to the contract, yes. That's my only comment. Whoever makes the motion, if you want to make a motion. And the schedule says it'll be done about this time of the year next year? Yes, the, the building um, we've already purchased and contracted to have the building built. So it goes into fabrication and should be delivered here the first week of April. And so they'll already begin the site work based on the condition of the, the weather at the time and whether the ground's frozen or not. What if they don't finish on time? What's that? What if they don't finish on time or something, a snag comes up or? Uh, there are some stipulations within the contract uh, for that. If there's so many weather days allotted, there's um, contingency set aside, both on the, the soft costs and the hard costs for it. 
And depending on the cause of it, there can be back charges because it didn't get completed on time. Um, some of our big, biggest challenges with the employee housing has been around the electrical panels and circuits, which caused some of the, the delays there too. So we're making sure we have all of those ordered right away. And as a reminder too, the funds for this are um, partially coming out of the certificates of participation based on the balance that's left after Miller Flats is completed and then the rest of that is, is provided for in the capital reserve fund. Okay. Um, I move to approve 8133 Exhibit A for buildings by design to construct the nutrition services and technology facility located at 365 McGregor at a guarantee. A maximum price of $4,521,026. Second. Yes, uh, Miss Missy, could you could you please vote Sir. us? Mrs. Connellan? Aye. Miss Hartel? Aye. Mr. McQueenie? Aye. Mr. Reynolds? Aye. Mrs. Tivarkunis? Aye. Motion passes five zero. Thank you, Missy. Next up, uh, approval of a sewer easement agreement with the sanitation district for Miller Flats. The, the sewer easement that you have in the packet here um, allows the Eagle River Water and Sanitation District to have an easement for the utility piece connected to Miller Flats. So in order to do the employee housing there, we did need to do some upgrades to the sewer lines um, in that area to be able to support the housing. Um, it's a standard agreement that comes along with um, any utility and we have easements across the district's um, property at all of our locations for purposes like this. So it's very standard, um, right along the lines of the purposes of in return for a dollar. Uh, but we do want to be able to allow them to get onto our property and improve or repair any issues that we might have. So this easement is what allows them to do that when needed. Uh, the uh, map that you have in here actually shows um, a little more, well, this is the easement, but part of the easement sh shows the map of the specific locations of where that's at. So that's also available as part of the agreement. Uh, so are there are Miller Flats, you, are our Miller Flats units on either side of that easement? Or where it is goes, it? with it goes along within Miller Flats on the north side of Miller Ranch Road where the building is so the the sewer lines come along along that property are there it any used to be on Battle Mountain but we didn't have to have that extensive of the sewer lines tied to it okay and we don't have any improvements in this area now and have no plans to construct any improvements no, this includes improvements that were made for Miller Flats, so they can access it and make repairs. But we don't have any future improvements that would be required. 
Where, where are the buildings in relation to this easement? <clears throat> On top of it. Oh, really? From what I, or like along the side of it? On either side of it? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is the, the parking area where this this piece of it because you have the Miller Ranch Road coming along this side of it and the this tract within here is where the building is from what I believe let me get a more detailed map. <laughs> Um, well, it's just the easement agreement says that we're not allowed to construct any, construct any structure, building, or improvements um, on, I think, the easement location, which is fine and makes sense because if they, if they come in there to repair the sewer line, they, they don't want a big building on top of it. Right. So, that, so I'm just, I guess my question is I'm just wondering where on this map, because the survey doesn't show um, the location of our improvements. So where are the, those in relation to the easement? Does that make that sense? That is this line here, I believe. Yep, that's the easement. But the improvements in the easement are these dark lines. Well, that's probably the the dark lines, the, the property boundary? So when you look at this part of it, yep. where you have these, this the easement area is larger. So it's a 20-foot wide strip of land. And the improvements I thought were, was this line here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the actual so sewer line. So then the easement goes on the yep. darker lines. How about... Can you point out with that arrow where our buildings are or would be if they were shown on this map? They, I believe, are along here. Yep, okay. And the other side of the easement? This would be along the back side. Okay, cool. Does that make sense? Yep, <laughs> got it. Sorry about that. Thank no worries. You. I can be a little directionally challenged with these maps, so I make sure that I'm <laughs> trying to answer it correctly. It's, yeah. Super. Any, this is an action item. Any other questions or comments for Sandy? I move to approve the sewer easement with Eagle River Water and Sanitation District for Miller Flats, Track B, Berry Creek, Miller Ranch Road. Second. Thank you. Missy? Mrs. Connellan? Aye. Ms. Hartel? Aye. Mr. McQueenie? Aye. Mr. Reynolds? Aye. Mrs. Tiver Kunis? Aye. <clears throat> Excuse me. Motion passes 5-0, thank you. Thank you. Okay, moving on, here we go. Uh, approval of a resolution to participate in the State of Colorado Interest-Free Program. Sandy, five minutes. Um, so 
the, the district does have this opportunity to participate in a state interest-free loan program. We've been doing this uh, for years and it helps us manage our cash flow. So what happens is with a lot of our money coming in through property taxes that those collections happen in the spring. So from July 1 until February, March, when those collections start coming in, uh, our fund balance that we have at the end of the year gets quickly depleted and our cash balance is at the bank. So about the October timeframe, we actually start borrowing from the state. And within that, we go through this big process. And if you had the opportunity to look at the pro forma, uh, you can see this is a 45 page um, wood printed spreadsheet. And it has all these details of our cash flow um, throughout the year that's projected and also within actuals. So what we do then is request from the state that we have a maximum amount that we can borrow to ensure that we have enough cash to make, make all of our payroll and all of our other expenditures that we have. So in June, we estimate what that is based on our uh, ending uh, bank balances and projected cash flows. And all of this is ran through the state. They have a department that reviews it, analyzes it, and um, puts all the formulas together. So we came up initially with a $25 million maximum. And throughout the year, we then start submitting the information to the state that has the actual dollars that we're spending. And so that information gets updated. And because of that, we are now able to get authorization to borrow up to the $36 million and $59,000. And what that does is just allow us to make sure that we can make all of our payments. And so um, some of these changes were last minute and led up to it. They had to make changes because of the assessed value changes and the credit for um, the uh, assessed values being reduced by the 55,000. So these new amounts all came about um, up to the 36 million. Generally, we get authorization to borrow that much, but we have never came really that close to that total amount. It's just making sure that we have that assurance to, to borrow those funds. And so that's what this uh, resolution is asking for tonight, to allow us to spend up to that much um, on that loan. And we end up repaying it generally um, in March, even before April hits, and end up with a, the fund balance that we have at the end of the fiscal year. sure what kind of questions you might have on this one, but. We do. So, so we adopted one in June um, to allow to the 25 million. And then this is um, a new resolution, resolution to increase that amount to make sure we have the funds available. So that could increase each year then. If we're spending more, they'll approve more? Yep. Right, okay. Did you say typically we pay it back in March? Mm -hmm. In a couple of months? Yes. Yep. So there's all the stipulations um, to do that. And so uh, when we request the funds, we actually request like um, a month for a month into the future of when we're going to need those funds so that we have the cash available. I mean, it's a great program. We we wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it without this opportunity. So, 
Any further questions, comments? Otherwise, you're sort of on a roll with motions, Lou, tonight. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, I move to approve resolution number 2023-24-14, authorizing Eagle County Schools participation in the state interest-free loan program and to borrow up to $36,059,056 for cash flow purposes. Second. Thank you. Uh, Missy, please. Mrs. Connellan. Yay. Ms. Hartel. Aye. Mr. McQueenie. Aye. <laughs> Mr. Reynolds. Yay. Mrs. T. Varkunis. Aye. Motion passes 5-0. Thank you. Okay. Time to buckle up, everybody. <laughs> Next on our agenda is approval of the 23-24 revised budget with Sandy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, just as a reminder, in June, we approve a budget for the fiscal year starting July 1 through June 30th of the next year. Uh, there's a lot of information that we get um, between June and December that gives us more accurate information of where we may um, get revenues and expenditures. So the state statute allows us to come back in January and do a revised budget. And so this is what's being presented to you guys tonight uh, for your review. One of the biggest implications that we have is our um, school funding through the School Finance Act, which is based on our student enrollment. And so this is one of the big driving changes for the revenue side of things. And so this is just really a summary by school and by grade level of the differences that we had in our student enrollment compared to what we actually projected. And so kind of starting from the top, you can see the elementary schools with Avon. The Avon actually came in 33 students less than what we projected. And um, going down, you have those larger discrepancies, but then you get to Battle Mountain High School, who actually came in 63, more than what we expected. Um, as the um, school year rolls out, I don't know if you remember, but in October, we've had our, our September updates on where our enrollment projections are. And so within a 10-day window of school starting, we make adjustments to staffing accordingly. And so that anybody with a, any school with a plus or minus 20 in students has a staffing adjustment if we're able to do that. So we did make adjustments at the beginning of the school, to, school year for some of the schools to account for this. Um, but this is ultimately where we ended up. Uh, it is noted on here that the variance is of January 17th, but this is based on our October count. And it's um, just when CDE actually uh, formalized and finalized the state count. So we go based off of what their final numbers are. When you look at that within the school funding formula, this is the School Finance Act, and it's just a portion of our funding, but it's our largest portion. 
And when we initially built the budget in June, we had numbers here, and these are the main factors that we use within the funding formula. And then this is what we ended up with revised based on actual. Uh, one of the changes here you can see in our funded pupil count, this number of uh, a reduction of 14.8. But I just showed you the chart that showed we were down 94. But what we do is have that ability to average over a five-year period uh, when we're in a declining enrollment um, time period. And so in taking those averages, we have a total reduction of 14.8. And that kind of helps stop the, the bleeding from um, districts that have a significant change on an annual basis. So 14.8 students changing on the funding side of it. And when you take that times our per pupil revenue, the adjustment or reduction to the district is at 157,768. So it's not as impactful as taking the 10,600 times 94. We then have other factors that roll into this. One of the big changes we had is our at-risk pupil count. We did have 2437 budgeted. However, um, our count ended up with 2,657. So what's crazy about this is even though our total count went down, our at-risk went up and we added 281,000 to our funding. So it's offsetting that loss based on the averaging declining students. Our ELL count had a small change, so another reduction of 28,000 there. Our online pupil count went up by eight, so they added 77,000. So when we get to our total formula funding, uh, we're still at the 75.8 million and actually an increase of 173,000. This isn't gonna be consistent year after year, um, but it's the averaging thing that's really helped us out and this really big push that we did for our uh, at-risk population of our free and reduced lunch applications, which generated the offsetting revenue to kind of clear the, level it out a little bit. Then um, Phil mentioned earlier our favorite BS factor that we have, and we have the 1.1 million that we are not getting funded for this year, and we have a, a small amount tied to that where it was just a, a reduction of 10,000 for us, so we got an extra 10,000 from that. From that total then, we have schools, charter schools, some of them are funded at the state level and authorized at the state. So you see the amount here for Stone Creek of 3.4 million. So based on that, that gets withheld at the state level and then the balance gets sent to us. We then have the total of the 71.2 million and from those dollars, uh, we allocate and make monthly payments to Eagle County Charter Academy based on a per pupil amount that they get. So the funding flows through to there. Questions on this part of it? This is a very condensed summarized version of the formula. Does their funding change them if their pupil count changes? Yes, yeah. So there's both, um, Stone Creek and Eagle County Charter Academy are tied to our per pupil amount. And their at-risk piece of it also ties into our percentages. I thought the state charter was all by themselves, no? They're included. It, they are by themselves, but the, the, they're still counted within our school district and then taken off at the end. Okay. And the state withholds it and they fund them directly. 
Part of the other questions then is what about the assessed value and this increase in property taxes and what does that look like for the school district? And one of the things we were trying to share with the community and the <laughs> conversations about going for a bond and a mill levy were that there's really no windfall to the school district because of SS value going up. And we adjust our mills to generate a total dollar amount. So when we're looking at the 71 million that we're trying to generate, that's what we cap that out as on for the school finance act related mill levies. And this breaks us down to show that within this, we have adjustments between our revenue sources. So property tax revenues went up 1.5 million uh, for the school district, but that's because the state share dropped. So the state then um, reduced their share to the district by 1.18. And so overall, there's really an adjustment of 31,000 in total revenue in these areas, but the, the it just flipped it. So the state gets to keep those resources um, that were generated here locally. So no windfall for the district on that. And happy to answer more or respond if you have questions regarding that. We did do the mill levy certification uh, at the last board meeting. And so there was more detail on it at that point. Okay, so I'm gonna try to make this as painless as possible. So um, those were the main revenue sources changes um, and mostly for the general fund. And with the general fund, again, this is the fund that really covers all of our operating expenses because it's not specifically required to be in another one. You can see the main changes here in revenue for the property taxes where that increased 1.5 and then the state amount dropped and the specific ownership amount dropped. The other big change that we have was in interest income. So the rates were still saying high, we're still generating those dollars. So we did add um, an additional 250,000 to interest income. And then other revenue sources that we've collected since then and the way that we're trending, we increased that by 711. So kind of exciting, kind of scary, is we're now breaking the 100 uh, million mark on <laughs> the general fund. And um, we're doing a pretty good job of spending it though too. So um, we show some changes here. They're pretty minimal. You'll see this change throughout all of the funds that tie with salaries and benefits. Uh, we are having some savings there generally from some unfilled uh, positions that we're reducing those amounts for. Uh, in areas where they're unfilled, we've had increased substitute costs. So things like that are helping offset that and still creating those um, expenses that we're having. So um, in relationship to that though, we also have benefits. And one of the things of looking at this is why are our benefits decreasing at a higher rate than our salaries? But with the increase in salaries that we've been doing, uh, we still had an increase in benefits, but the, the ratio is not the same. So we're still seeing um, a lower percentage of benefits to salaries. So instead of it being 42%, now it's down to like 41. So it's that small increase that gets spread across there. And then of course, there's always things um, through purchase services and supplies and equipment that come up that initially you, we might not have expected to incur that expense, but as we've seen for the first six months that we have incurred them and they become known, 
or programmatically that we need to add that expense. So you do see that increase in those areas um, for a total of 99265000 The next part of this for the general fund is the transfer out part. And this is the part that goes to all of the other funds, whether it's 5B or capital projects or um, UPK. So UPK was one of them that we went into with a, a lot of unknowns, and we're going to look at that one next. And that's where the largest transfer from the general fund out is coming from. It just wasn't as noticeable before because it was buried with all of the other items. So now you'll be having actually, a, it's a great thing because you'll have a clearer picture to see how much infant, toddler, and preschool programs are costing. But overall, we're looking at a net change of the fund balance of the 6.9 million. And we're looking at an ending budgeted fund balance of 7.4 million, which in the long run is um, $1.1 million more than what we had budgeted to begin with. So we're moving in the right direction in that way. Right, so I'm gonna jump to nutrition services. And with nutrition services, you're gonna see the same thing, um, some adjustments in food sales and reimbursements. And that's really that change as we get a, a better idea of what our participation rates are looking like with the um, Healthy Meals for All program. So you see some adjustments between categories and uh, not bringing in the revenues as high as initially budgeted. So we do see a drop in the revenues. There's similar drops in salaries and benefits and some adjustments to supplies and purchase services. Supplies continue to increase. I think everybody's experienced the increased food costs and it's been pretty high um, through even the major source uh, that we have as a provider. And we are switching from US Foods to Shamrock, but that won't happen until July 1. So we'll be seeing um, hopefully some adjustments in that area. But um, this is an area where we initially didn't have a transfer from the general fund, but we're adding 100,000 um, to come over to support this, to keep the food service program of being self-sustaining. And four years ago, before COVID hit, that transfer from the general fund was closer to 500,000. So uh, we'll just need to keep an eye on those participation rates and the reimbursement rates and hope that the federal government and states start increasing those to keep up with the cost of food, but they're not quite there yet. And overall, we're, um, what you're looking at tonight is the total appropriation. So that's the amount that you would allow to be spent by fund. So we had um, the 100 on the general fund, and this one is the 3.4. On the grant fund, not a lot of changes here. The only thing we really adjusted was the difference between local and federal grants. So based on what the grants that we've already been awarded, what potential is coming up, we just made a shift between the local and federal revenue sources. A total appropriation of 6250000 We have the Student Activity Fund. We're, this one, uh, really no changes except for in the beginning fund balance piece of where we believe we're going to end the 22-23 fiscal year. And then in transportation, 
um, small changes here, biggest one uh, starting within the fund balance, and then we have the state categorical amount. So that's based on prior years. We actually have already received that payment, so we know the 496,147 is the amount for this year, and that's the total that we'll receive from the state. And then um, adjustments on salaries and benefits for unfilled positions and increased costs for purchase services. Purchase services costs really on this one is a lot of tied to repairs and maintenance. We have a lot of our older buses that are um, needing some major repairs. Uh, you might have heard of a few of them breaking down um, recently. And we have not had the personnel, which you can see in the salaries, we've been short uh, maintenance tech people. And so we've had to contract that out to get some of our buses fixed. And then overall, we do have a, this transfer from the general fund that was budgeted and continue to plan on doing that um, to support the transportation fund. And we're looking at a total appropriation there of 3.7 million. Questions? <laughs> Okay. Um, kind of step back on the universal pre-K, mm -hmm. um, and it's just a side question. Um, it seems like their payments are, and I don't know if this has been with you, but their payments are like not a regularly scheduled payment to, for that reimbursement. Is Am I correct on that? Or? You are correct, okay. not yet. We um, received our first payment last month so it was to the point to where there's a, a group of people emailing asking districts if they've received their payment yet because others hadn't got it but we did get our one flat amount mm -hmm. that we were supposed to and now we should be getting some more monthly amounts okay good luck on that <laughs> yeah thanks Sandy. So um, the other one that we have some changes on is the bond fund. And we have some increases in the property taxes tied to this, as well as the interest payment. And they pretty much offset each other uh, with the paying agent fees. And this really is um, an estimate on it, because until we sell the bonds, we don't know how much the interest payment is going to be for this fiscal year. And so those amounts are in there and tied to the mill levies that were set in December in order to generate those dollars. Uh, but all of it goes to principal interest and paying agent fees. And then we do need to maintain a fund balance within that to make sure that we have the dollars to make um, payments in June and in December. So um, the balance that we have June 30th will make those December payments. But total appropriation there of 27,292. This one's the building fund, and with it, we have the revisions, uh, big adjustments here. We have adding to the fund balance of funds that potentially haven't been carried over. This is where uh, you'll see the bond proceeds. So, um, not knowing what they would sell at yet, but generally we sell them at a premium. So, we have 100 million in there generated from the bond sales that were planning on happening in February, uh, additional interest income, and then the construction projects uh, in there. This is not the full amount. You're not gonna see the 100 million because there's no way we're gonna spend all that by June 30th. So we put enough in there to appropriate 
um, really on the safe side to make sure that we wouldn't go over the amount. But, um, that would just be a portion of what it would take to get the early learning center and housing pieces off the ground by June. This one you will continue in the future to see the, you'll have a big fund balance increase as of June 30th, and then it, we just spend it down on those particular projects. Capital reserve on local sources, no big changes here, really. Um, a lot of the other local income is rental income as well as for um, the business side of things as well as auction sales. So when we do uh, have a bus that we retire, we put it on the um, public surplus website and auction it off there and those proceeds go there. And then the, the rest of the information here really just lines out any of the revisions that we added to it to account for items that we've already done or know that's going to occur. On it. And it defines the difference between um, the regular capital projects and then the 5B that we specifically allocate. So we have the total expenditures there of 7.7. Uh, .7. And then you see the a large portion of that is the tech office and nutrition service storage that's set aside for um, that building. And then um, budgeting to, to maintain a $1.5 million ending fund balance for a total appropriation of the $7.7 million. We have the last one here is the district housing. So Sandy, just a question about like all the, that last one that we were just on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the health and safety and things like that and what the bond money is going to be going for. I'm sure there's a list of the health and safety things that are going to be done. Do principals know where they lie on that list of if their building is going to get updated or fixed or? So within the, the safety and security plan that um, we put the five million in the bond to support projects, they are prioritized by need. And so once the safety um, officer is on place, then we'll go through those and start moving towards completing those projects. So we will be getting that information out to principals in the near future of what that looks like and the time frame for rolling those out. Those are would be more accounted for in these construction projects in the um, building fund and not capital reserve because they're using bond proceeds to pay for them. So we'll have those specifically identified in the building fund. The health and safety items in capital reserve are tied to set aside to deal with uh, cameras that go down or small things that are happening that we can fix within each of the, the schools. But to answer that question, the, the principals that will be having those conversations with them uh, probably by March when we get somebody on board and, and trained up. That holds true for like all the things like playground and stuff like that or other equipment needed. The schools know that their playground's getting done this year or? We are in the process of determining which ones would be that priority. So for instance, we need to redo the football fields at both high schools 
and we have about an $800,000 price tag on each of them. And so when you look at the other projects that need to be completed, um, it puts, pushes those back because those become a health and safety issue. Somebody drips in a hole or they're, and, and they're failing, they're past their, their useful life. And they've been on the facility request list, but making sure that we have the funding for them has been a challenge. Uh, but most likely you're gonna see this when we do the 24-25, you will see those specific projects that we have identified to fund when we build this next budget. All right, so housing, um, you see a really significant increase uh, in the budget from last year from the 875 to uh, the 12 million up to 11. Uh, this has to do with the contribution of building A of Miller Flats or their construction of progress that they had. So that gets added in um, to support the housing fund. And it's more on the balance sheet side, but we have to pull it through here on the revenue to begin with. So you can see rental income, and this is not only Miller Flats, but all of our employee housing that we have, even our master leases get rolled into that. So this is the 1.1 that we have projected for revenue. And then you have the expenditures, uh, which we didn't make any revisions to uh, for the revised budget. Uh, small amounts for repairs and maintenance, uh, major repairs under purchase services. And then the housing rent expense is the amount that we actually pay out for our master leases. So we withhold money from employees' checks we um, can call that our rental income. And then when we pay the district's master lease with um, one of them that we have, then that becomes the housing rent expense. And the depreciation, huge jump from 1,200 uh, to 944,000. So when you take a $20 million um, housing project and depreciate that over 30 years, it's about the amount of money that you get on an annual basis. So uh, this fund balance uh, is here, but you will see it drop um, as it shifts um, through the processing of the balance sheet. And then as um, an authorizer for Eco County Charter Academy, we include their financial information for you and it's included in our budget as well as the annual financial report. So it's provided in here. Um, we do provide oversight for them on their financials, but more on a reporting oversight only and submit their numbers to the Department of Ed, but their financials are all provided um, oversight by their own Board of Education. And so uh, they're at their discretion to spend their dollars as they see fit. We have those totals, and then you have this that combines all of the funds together for a total appropriation of $205,428,615. And so on the resolutions tonight, um, you would have two of them, and from that um, identifies the amount here for the total appropriation um, anything that's not coming from the revenue that we're collecting is considered the fund balance appropriation. And so a resolution identifying and identifying the purpose 
of what those dollars are being spent for is required by state statute to make sure that uh, board members and community members are aware that we're actually spending into our fund balance. So some of these are very intentional with the general fund, um, known that that's intentional, but we still are financially stable and we will continue to be that way. And if adjustments need to be made to maintain that stability, we will do that. Then we have the um, other funds like the building fund and capital reserve, where when we do spend those, they all will be coming out of the appropriation um, from the fund balance. So if, happy to answer any other questions that you might have, but asking for approval of resolution 15 and 16 to approve the budgets. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for all you do to keep us fiscally safe and secure. Any questions for Sandy, comments? Uh, I have one question on resolution 16. I think it's at the, the last page of your slide, too, or second to last. There's a, there's a comment regarding the general fund that says adjustments will need to be, will be necessary in future years. Adjustments will be necessary in future years to maintain stability. Can you give us some insight on what those adjustments might be? Right, so depending on the revenue that we get, so cost of living and budget stabilization buy down, uh, we'll get a certain amount of revenues in future years. So we adjust our expenditures based on what, it may, what we need to maintain to be able to keep our fund balance at a certain level. So the board has a policy of the $10 million or um, more as a minimum. And last year, the board approved a budget below that in order to put more into salaries and benefits to support um, attracting and retaining staff. And so the idea was that we would incrementally um, build that fund balance back up to get within that to continue to stay. So even though we have a fund balance that we're going in at around $6 million, that um, that difference between the six and 10, still financially stable, but um, not as good as that we have used in the past. Uh, the benefit that we have is we still meet the Tabor appropriation of the 3%, and we have another 3% on top of that. So we are still financially stable, but um, board policy was closer to the, the 10 million. So if those things come up, we just don't give as high of a salary increase, or we shift more benefits to uh, cost to employees, we reduce some of our purchases, and we um, cut back in order to continue to bring our fund balance up. Thank you. If there are not any further questions or comments, I'll move to approve resolutions 2023-24-15 and 2023-24-16, approving the 2023-24 revised budget and appropriate the amounts to each fund as reflected in the resolutions. I second. 
Thank you, Michelle and Juan. Missy? Mrs. Connellan? Aye. Ms. Hartel? Aye. Mr. McQueenie? Aye. Mr. Pena? Aye. Mr. Reynolds? Aye. Mrs. Tivarakunis? Aye. Motion passes 6-0. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, team. Who is ready for feedback and evaluation of the meeting time? We won't, we won't get to do this again until Valentine's Day. <laughs> <clears throat> Juan, we need more Juan time tonight. Go ahead. We could do that. Um, uh, closing comments for me is just a, a little bit of gratitude, um, knowing that we were able to serve uh, and listen to what we had today. I think we had a lot accomplished. Um, I got to go to kindergarten roundup, so I missed some of the presentations, so my apologies for that. Um, but um, the person next to me, I would like to say thank you for allowing me to serve next to you for the past couple years. And uh, I think there's a few years ago, or a couple years ago when they uh, did Women's uh, Appreciation and Power Day, and I, just, I go, you know, we have some very good examples and role models for our kids, and you are one of them, and honored to serve next to you. Thank you. Would you like a blue hat or a black hat? <laughs> Looks like he's getting a blue. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Maybe just a big group hug with Michelle. Okay. Meeting adjourned. Thank you all.